0: Good morning and welcome to Talk Money here on AEM 990. I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby. We're going to talk about planning, and I know we have a lot of statistics that we look at. We have a lot of uh, things that show us, you know, that we talk about with retirement planning. Uh, What are some of those numbers that we've seen? I mean, because in planning is important, but I want people to understand, you know, why that we're focused on this.
1: Yeah, I think one of the numbers I read this morning is that uh, there was a survey done of a thousand seniors and 45 percent of them basically asked for a mulligan. They wanted a do-over on saving for retirement, and if they could go back and change some of the things that they're, they've done, at they that point, they would have changed something. They would have saved more money, eventually. That's powerful. Almost half the people would would do something differently. And it's weird. When I read that, I really felt that the 45% number was different, or a little low. Right. Because, uh, you know, I, I talk to so many people every week, and so many of them say, man, you really need to go talk to some young folks. Let them know. Don't make the same mistakes that I did. Start saving money as soon as possible. So. Um, you know and when you look at your world and compounding and the ability to if you could start at 25 or at 20 or at 30 sure you got to make sure that you're saving some dollars for the future because those are more the most powerful dollars that you ever have because they may be 30 years old and interest earning interest on interest earning interest and that's when it really can come uh, it becomes powerful for somebody.
0: Absolutely. And on that, let's bring in the guys from our planning department. This is Jason Fraser. Jason is a certified financial planner, and Nick Sowell is a CFP candidate, and both work in our planning department. So, guys, uh, welcome to the show, and good morning. Good morning. Good to be here.
1: Jason, I got a question for you. I, I spend all day telling people that we're a financial planning firm and that we do comprehensive financial planning. But in your mind, you know, you spend all of your day actually completing financial plans what exactly is financial planning?
2: Uh, sure. Uh, financial planning, I would say, you know, many people look at it in different uh, spectrums, but financial planning is the formal process of charting a, uh, a roadmap, if you will, uh, of financial goals. It, um, it helps. Uh, it's prioritizing those financial goals and uh, making decisions about those goals. Uh, it's, uh, you know, our job is to guide the process to help clients organize and uh, protect their financial situation and help them see a vision of where they uh, want to be in the future. All right, so let me ask you a
1: question. You know, I, I know there's different types of financial planning and a lot of people come to me asking, you know, hey, I have a specific problem with a singular issue and then other people want to just make sure that they're doing things right. You know, what's the difference between, you know, modular singular financial planning on one issue versus comprehensive financial planning?
2: Sure. Uh single, single issue is Basically what it is, it's – you're concentrating on just one piece of a financial picture, uh, retirement planning, if you will, or uh, college education. Comprehensive financial planning uh, encompasses multiple areas of a client's uh, financial world. We'll look at everything from cash flow, accumulation goals, state planning, retirement, education – uh, you know, many facets of a client's uh, situation. That's what encompasses, uh,
1: is one superiorly better
2: than the other. I mean, is it bad to do one or the other? No. Uh, you know, what comes to most people's mind when they're thinking of financial planning, the first thing that pops in their mind is retirement planning. Uh, but there's every client situation is different and it's actually what's important to them. So
0: Nick, when we talk about financial planning, you're talking about goals. What, what is our planning process? How do you guys walk through this with clients?
3: Uh, well, at Shoemaker Financial, we really take a holistic view of planning. So uh, we we follow the CFP board's six steps financial planning process, uh, the first one being we establish and define the client-advisor relationship. Uh, that's essentially just where the advisor and client meet, and they determine who's going to do what, um, what expectations should be, um, things like that. Um, after that, it's just data gathering, uh, and see, they all build off each other, as you'll see. But when
0: you talk about this client relationship, so I, I know you know we uh, you talk about what you expect from the client. So talk to us a little bit more about what that is. I mean, what we really you know what that relationship looks like. Well, the thing about
3: uh, comprehensive planning, especially that differs from just maybe a, a, a product relationship, is that it requires a lot of effort on the client side as well. Um, they have to be able to uh, bring us the data that we need. Uh, One of the most important things about planning is you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. So if we don't have good data, then the results are not going to be good. Right. Uh, Even though we follow our process, we have to have good data. We have to have the client engaged uh, because really uh, ultimately the most important part of the plan is implementing uh, the recommendations. Uh, We can write great plans all day long, but if we don't follow through with that and execute it, uh, then it's really not a great plan. The result isn't great.
0: Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, we say every week. It's not about the plan. It's about the results.
1: Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think uh, it, it is about the results ultimately. But at the end of the day, the best financial in the world cannot read minds. And so the biggest part about completing a financial plan is being able to sit down in that client relationship and understanding what their ultimate goals are. And sometimes that's not as easy as you would think. I mean, it, it's not something that you can just sit down and ask one question and get all the answers. So it requires it requires a lot of um, uh, time and effort on the client's end to engage in this process.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's two sides to the, to the data gathering process. Uh, there's the qualitative side and the quantitative side. Uh, the quantitative is just, you know, statements, financial statements, uh, old life insurance policy, things like that, things that, that have a number with them. And then there's kind of what you're referring to, Tao, and that's the uh, the qualitative side. Uh, and that's where the client tells you, you know, what's really keeping them up at night? What's, uh, what's their big sticking points? What do they really want to accomplish and in what order?
1: Yeah, and I know that I tell people a lot every day that, uh, you know, Shoemaker is different because if you look at a lot of other advisors out there, they really consider themselves heroic leaders and that they're, they're the relationship manager. They're the ones that are solving all the problems. Our approach is a little bit different where we as the advisors are the ones that know what we're doing. A lot of us are CFPs, but at the same time, our strengths lie in being able to create and find out what this qualitative measures of what they want to accomplish are. And you guys are the experts at the quantitative part of it. And so, uh, you know, and there's usually a different skill set. I mean, you guys have different skill sets than I do. Mainly, you guys are a lot smarter than I am. And so, my, my yeah, but that's job, a pretty low bar. Yeah, <laughs> it is. that's not saying a lot. I understand, but but at the same time, my job is to really sit down and connect with a person because uh, the best financial plan written in the world doesn't really help someone solve some goals that they don't really have.
3: Yeah, I mean that's right. exactly right. I mean we can drop a plan, but if the client's not committed and engaged to it, uh, then nothing's going to get accomplished, and that really is where the advisor comes in.
0: Well, I think it's interesting when you think about that client relationship and, again, how important it is for what the advisor does and then what you guys in the planning department do uh, to follow up on, you know, what Tal had said, uh, that, you know, his job is to know all about that client, to really understand their lives, to get them to buy into what you're trying to accomplish, Uh, and then you guys are to take all the data, all the information, all the hard facts uh, and come up with that roadmap of how to get there. Uh, And I
1: think, you know, that's the way the relationship ought to work. So once we've gathered all these facts, Jason – you know what's what's the process after we've gathered the facts? What do you guys do once you've gotten gotten everything the information once we've delivered it to you?
2: Sure. We uh, well we have some sophisticated financial planning software that we use. Uh, we take all the client's data, all their statements, all the information we've got gathered from them on you know their hopes, their dreams, their fears, and what they're trying to accomplish, and we will actually implement that into the software. That's going to tell us a lot of information, uh, you know, when can they retire, you know, what it, how much they're going to need to save for college. Uh, it has a lot of information that we can gather from that. And we'll evaluate that and assess the uh, issues that the client may have. Maybe they're lacking on life insurance. Maybe they can actually retire a few years earlier. Uh, once we do that, we'll actually go back to the client and provide a set of recommendations based on the information that we've received.
1: Yeah, and you kind of glance over that step right there because I think there's a lot of places people can go, especially in today's age with the Internet and all the resources that people have available, and you can go and plug your numbers into any sort of calculator online. Right. But what you just said is that we go back to the client with recommendations, and that is really where you two earn your keep, and that is the generation of these um, recommendations that someone should take in order to achieve their goals I I know, Jason, you're a very detailed person. I did a plan (laughs) with you yesterday morning, and uh, it was 19 pages of written recommendations (laughs) that we had to communicate with the client. Now, the client had a lot of things going on, so it was needed. (laughs) Sure. But, man, you want to talk about details. And so kind of walk us through when you, after you've gotten the plan, you've entered all the number into the system and our fancy software system, as you said, you know, what goes on for you as far as trying to write the recommendations for the client?
2: Well, you know, our biggest task when we're meeting with a client is we really want to know them, not just their financial data. So, you know, their kids' names, you know, where their kids are going to go to college, we, you know, the wife's names. What You know, what, what is she wanting to do? You know, what, what happens to her if, you know, the husband was to pass away? So we, we kind of learn a little bit more about the client on a more intimate level, just not the numbers. And so we try to incorporate that into actual financial plans that we write. Uh, So we get a little more detailed. We'll actually dive into, uh, you know, we have a financial plan that dumps a whole lot of numbers on a client. But, you know, they're going to flip through that and just their eyes will glaze over. So we try to personalize a little bit more, and that's where the narrative or the written plan comes into effect. And we'll, you know, we'll address their cash flow issues, you know, expenditures. Hey, you're spending too much or, hey, you can spend more. Uh, We'll get into – Accumulation goals, uh, asset allocation, we'll take a look at the 401k and say, you know, hey, Mr. Client. You told us you were about a 60 40 aggressive risk. Well, hey, your 401k is like in a 90 10. So.
0: Yeah, and Jason, you're saying a lot of numbers that sometimes, you know, our listeners that we want to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. When we say a 60 40, you know, we're thinking about a portfolio allocation that's got 60% stocks and 40% bonds. Uh, and I think that's one of the really unique things that we do at the firm and certainly that you guys do. Uh, and as Tal said, it is not a cookie cutter approach, it is not plugging in a number and it's spitting out an answer. And then that is, that is the solution. It is very much an interactive process between the advisor the planning department and the client and the recommendations aren't even finalized you know i know you guys will come out with some recommendations and then adjust those based on you know what we're trying to accomplish and again based on the client's wants and needs and i think that's a very unique approach
1: yeah i, I would be willing to say that you guys only spend 10 percent of the time with the software 90 percent of the time is creating the solutions for the client that's where the we're really adding value to people every day so nick I know you have spent some time in, uh, in the world and dealing with clients. What are, what are some questions that if I'm sitting down and I'm looking to create a financial plan for myself, what are some questions that I can expect to be asked of me?
3: Uh, you know, some of the, the more common questions that, that we would expect the advisor to get the answer to would be, you know, what are your goals? Uh, just point blank, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, you know, uh, such as when do you want to retire? Where do you want your kids to go to school? Um, you know, just basic um, questions about things that you're trying to do, uh, mainly accumulation, accumulation goals. And then other things like, you know, if something were to happen uh, to your spouse, whether they die or maybe to become disabled – uh, what's your plan that you have in place there? And know? I
0: think it's important as well. You know, when you talk about goals and we kind of, you know, we, we take that for granted that, you know, most people are going to know what that money's for. Or is going to have a specific concrete goal for that. And I think we would all say that a lot of times people don't. Good. You know, they they think in general terms, but they don't think in specific terms. And being able to drill down to that really makes a huge difference because that's the level of detail you need to get the buy-in, to get the clients to actually implement the plan.
1: Yeah, I'm 33 and uh, I, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of younger folks. Right, right. And a 25 year old has no idea what they want retirement exactly. to be. Exactly. They're they're just thinking, how do I get a job? Much less, they're not really thinking about where do I, what boat do I want to buy when I'm 65. And so it's hard to sit down with someone and kind of figure out what their goals are, especially with young folks. So.
0: You're listening to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby. We're speaking with Jason Frazier and Nick Sal from the Shoemaker Financial Planning Department. Nick, we were talking about some of the questions uh, that you would ask uh, clients during the financial planning process. Tell us a couple more of those. Uh,
3: a couple more would be, you know, whether or not they have young children. And if so, you know, do they plan on pay- paying for their college? Uh And here's the other thing is if one of them were to die, do they want to fund their college, you know, through their life insurance? Right. That's something people really don't think about when they're buying life insurance. Uh, One of the common misconceptions that we have with clients that come in is they think that their group policies cover them, you know, whether it be life insurance or disability. uh, What they don't realize is sometimes those benefits can be taxable. So uh, they don't realize they need more than what they have through their job. Um, And then Do they have an investment strategy? What are they currently doing uh, with the money that they are putting back? Do they they have a plan in place? You know, uh, what's that look like?
0: And I think that's really important, Tal, and and for people to realize, you know, we talked earlier about planning for a specific goal, but there is an awful lot that goes into comprehensive financial planning. And these questions are really just kind of scratching the surface of getting that detailed look, that detailed knowledge of someone's life, their whole life.
1: Yeah, and it's so weird. I mean, you wouldn't think necessarily that disability insurance would affect your investment portfolio. Exactly. But it's all so tied together. And, and and in my mind, you know, we talked about doing one-off financial plans where we're working on one singular thing versus comprehensive earlier. In my mind, you, you almost have to do financial planning from a comprehensive level because everything, your whole life is so intertwined. And, you know, I don't care how good you are at investing. If you lose your job because of a disability and can't work, then your whole, all of your investing work is going to go down the drain because you're going to have to use those dollars for you know, taking care of your family. So, you know, disability insurance is just as much important as what's going on around the world and with the economy and where you have your money parked in your 401k.
0: Absolutely. As you have to address the the both sides of the balance sheet, you got to look at the assets and
1: the liabilities. Absolutely. So Jason Frazier, let me ask you this. I mean, there's, there's a lot of commercials on TV. People read a lot of things online. You know, there's obviously a lot of misunderstandings of, regarding financial planning, probably because of an oversaturation of uh, advertising and everything going on in the media. What do you see as some things that people
2: commonly misunderstand about what we do? Sure. The, you know, we're, it's information overload. You know, some of the misconceptions that I see is clients often believe that, you know, hey, I can do it on my own. Or they may feel they don't have enough money or assets to actually do a financial plan. Uh, some may think, hey, I've I got too much debt uh, to w- even worry about doing a financial plan. Or they may even think, you know, financial plan may not even benefit me. Uh, you know the reality is is that there are several benefits uh, from actually taking the time to implement a financial plan. It was interesting. Uh, uh, the CFP Board uh, did a study in uh, 2012 that actually showed that those individuals or families that actually have a financial plan in force uh, felt more confident about their financial decision making. Uh, they managed to save more money. Uh, they feel better about their progress in saving for financial goals. Um, they're more likely to be financial prepared they also avoid a lot of uh, the financial pitfalls that others seem to fall into and one interesting thing uh, you know that's a byproduct of uh, developing a financial plan is that it actually opens up the line of communication between husband and wife and in terms of uh, letting them dialogue, in terms of uh, where each of them stands on what's important to them about money, where they want to be financially in the future?
0: I don't know. You think there's any value in that, Tal?
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, don't, I may be just getting old and sentimental in my old age. I don't know, but it really Shoot. seems like in the last two years I felt I really have started to gain this identity as a therapist or, or uh, a right. counselor <laughs> because I'm, I'm working with so many married couples, and it is shocking – the difference of opinions in a in a relationship and when you look at the causes of divorce number one reason for divorce is finance finance it makes what we do and all of this stuff extremely important i think uh, you know going back to what jason you were talking about about the misunderstandings the the one that i hear the most out in the in the world is that you know i i don't really need to do that now and you know this isn't the right time for me to start diving into my finances i got other things going on i'm focused on and I see more often than not that people, they really, they put on these blinders and they, they focus on one thing. Maybe they're focused on debt or they're focused on paying for their, their children's uh, primary education or college education. And then they focus on retirement. You know, talk to us a little bit about why it's important to not necessarily just focus on one thing. Um, and, and from a timing perspective, why it's important to look
2: at everything. Sure. You know, when we develop a financial plan, especially a comprehensive financial plan, uh, we do cover all aspects of their situation. Financial plan may come back and say that they have several multiple things that they got to do. So sometimes a client may feel overwhelmed, like, oh, my gosh, I got to save for college. I got to save for retirement. I got to implement some life insurance. We will actually walk the client. Uh, through that process very delicately. We we understand, you know, every client, they have so much money and they have uh, lofty goals. And so that's part of the planning process is, is prioritizing those goals. And, you know, it's also a time horizon thing. You know, college is going to, you know, come before retirement, but we don't want them to focus all their money actually going into college. You know, you can borrow for, you know, college expenses. You can't borrow money from a bank to last you through retirement. So it's all about priorities, time horizons, and, and what's important to the client.
1: Yeah. And I know when I started 10 years ago, the I started working with med students. And my big line back then was to the med students as to why they need a financial plan was, if you can't manage living on negative $40,000, which is what they were having to do right. kind of for school, there's no way you're going to be able to manage $200,000. So some of the fundamentals start even at an early age before you have a job of financial planning. And so whether you're just getting started in working or you've been working for 30 years, a financial plan is crucial because there's a lot of issues that you need to consider and you can't wait. I mean, all the stuff that we're talking about has to be handled at some point. It's a lot easier to handle it now than it is 10, 15 years from now.
0: Well, and once you go through, so let's think about that. And we've gone through this process. And, and you know, Nick, when we get to the end, what are just to give our listeners an idea of what some of the recommendations might be, some of the things that might be the result of the plan. And again, you know, this is not uh, any kind of a recommendation. Every client situation is, is individual to them. Uh, and we look at it that way. It's a very uh, unique kind of situation, again, unique to each individual client. But what might be some of the recommendations that would come out of a plan?
3: Yeah, like you said, Keith, every rec- recommendation or set of recommendations is going to be totally different depending
0: on the situation
3: of the client. Uh, but, to give you an example of what some of them might be is is we 're going to we 're going to take a look at cash flow management, you know um, whether you need to make some changes as far as what your expenditures are and what your savings rate is and sometimes um, these
0: are some tough conversations to have and that 's the yeah. other part of a financial plan sometimes it's it 's about being brutally honest right and it 's not always negative sometimes they have
3: right. very positive financial cash flow, so uh that 's always a good thing and it, it 's good to also uh we acknowledge you when you are doing a good job already i mean we don 't try to right. fix something that 's not broken. <clears throat> Um, uh, the other thing would, we might look at adjusting time horizons. Uh, Tao kind of talked about it, uh, starting too late or not starting early enough. Uh, there's two ways to save for retirement. You either put more money in or you adjust your time horizon. So we'll take a look at your time horizon, uh, find out if it's, if it's legitimate or not, uh, whether you can uh, really retire when you want to, uh, or we need to push that up or back. However you need to adjust it. Let me uh, ask you a question, Nick.
1: Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest problems and that hold people back from coming and talk to us is that. You know, I think they're going to sit down with us, and they're going to have to tell us how much their cable bill is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get really mad at them because they spend a hundred and something <laughs> dollars on their cable bill. And I'm going to tell them they can't have a cable bill anymore. In your years of experience, have we ever told anyone they can't have cable?
3: No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, we our job isn't to judge you or change the way you're you're living your lifestyle. We may give you recommendations, um, but it's we're never going to you know get on to you for anything like that. Um, our job is going to take what you have and make it work the most efficient way possible. Uh, It's really not our job to move your budget around. We're going to take what you're doing now and adjust from there.
1: I I tell people all the time, all I'm going to do is uh, project. If you keep doing what you're doing, where do you end up? And then I'm going to tell you what you need to do in order to change that. I'm going to take the ball, place it directly on your side of the court, and let you figure out how to do that. And if cable takes gets the ax, then cable gets the ax.
0: That's right. And everybody's going to have something that they need to ax probably, you know, if it's a cable or something else. But individuals, you know, everybody's got a unique thing that they don't mind giving up, but it's something that you've got to focus on. And I love to look at it that way. I know. And if my
1: wife's listening, we have a lot of stuff to ax. You do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, that's that's a tip to her Absolutely. to start Absolutely. thinking? Yep. Get the ax out there. <laughs> sharpen it up.
0: <laughs> sharpen up the ax. Yeah. Well, that's great information, guys, and we really appreciate it. You're listening to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby. We're speaking with Jason Frazier and Nick Sal from the Shoemaker Financial Planning Department. And now we are going to put their knowledge to the test.
1: All right, boys, here we go. (laughs) Jason or Nick, we'll start with you. First question, if you are younger than 50, what is the maximum amount you can contribute to your 401K or similar employer-based retirement plan in 2014? That be $17,500. Ding ding ding! Good, job, Good Nick. job, Nick. We started off easy. Oh, we started you boys off easy. So basically, you know, if anyone out there, most people have a four hundred one k. Right. They can get up to seventeen thousand five hundred dollars into those plans every year, and that that goes up every couple of years. I think probably on average every two years they bump it up five hundred or so dollars. I remember when I started, it was closer to fourteen thousand dollars. So it goes up every year. It goes up every year. Almost okay, every year.
0: now to Jason, our next question. This was for employers up to age fifty workers. 50 and over are eligible to make catch-up contributions to their worker-based retirement plans what's the maximum amount
2: they can contribute to a 401k plan in 2014 sure the the actual catch-up amount is fifty five hundred dollars so you add that to the Seventeen five, so 17, 5 to the
0: twenty three thousand ding ding ding, ding. Right. good job jason
2: <laughs> jason gets to keep his job <laughs> thank
1: you <laughs> Yeah, and I think we see a lot of that. We see a lot with the uh, catch-up provisions happening later on in life, mainly because of that statistic we read earlier where people are just behind generally when it comes to saving for retirement. Now, to be able to put back $23,000 a year, that requires either some sacrifice or you'd be making a lot of money at that point. but. There is a significant benefit for being able to put away $23,000 a year. If you're in the 25% tax bracket, you know, you're, you're saving close to five, $6,000 in taxes just by being able to do that.
0: You are. And, you know, that's a significant amount as you think about the power of compounding as well, as we mentioned, because, you know, funding your retirement on the back end, uh, you know, we'd rather see you do it on the
1: front end, but better late than never. Absolutely. All right. So the easy questions are over. Here we go. <laughs> and this is something that's new, Nick, you're a young whippersnapper in our, our world. So uh, you should be able to know this. Um, You know, a lot of employers are now offering both a traditional 401k and a Roth 401k. Let's say I'm an employee for one of those companies. Can I contribute to both? What? Well, if it's part of the 401k
3: plan, you can. Absolutely. Uh, There you go. Essentially what happens is the 401k contribution is contributed pre-tax. Yeah, and the Roth goes in after tax.
1: Absolutely. So if if again the same limits apply, you can get seventeen thousand five. You just can't do seventeen thousand five into each. Right. So your total contributions uh, can be up to seventeen thousand five, but your Roth IRA contributions obviously wouldn't be uh, tax um, deferred.
3: Yeah. Essentially, the Roth uh, you take the tax hit now mm-hmm. and you don't pay taxes moving forward. It's tax preferred treatment on that one.
1: So why would someone want to dump all of their seventeen five into a Roth IRA, um, Roth 401k? It just depends on how they feel about
3: you know, taxation moving forward. I mean, essentially, you've, you've removed any guesswork on what future tax rates are going to be. Uh, with 401k, uh, the assumption is you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire, but we don't know. Yeah. Are uh, there any advantages to having both? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you should have... You should have it in all buckets. I mean, you should have a taxable bucket, a tax a tax preferred bucket, and a tax deferred bucket uh, because there's reasons for each one and, and times to use each one throughout life. See,
0: tell these guys are
1: smart. I know. I, I mean, they, they, they need to be. I mean, these <laughs> guys to, they, spend, they spend all day in the books. I need these guys to make me look
0: good. When That's I'm exactly the right. Okay, now we're back to Jason with our next question. And ja- this one's a little bit arbitrary. This one's a little so. bit, yeah, this is a number that we'll see. And again, uh, just for our listeners, we have not shared either the questions or the answers with these guys. So this is the first time they're hearing this. Jason, assuming someone wants to retire at age 65, how much of their savings should they accumulate? How much, uh, what percentage-wise of their annual salary? How many times their an- final annual salary should they accumulate for retirement? So should it be
1: five times their annual salary? 10 times their annual salary, 20 times their annual salary, or 40 times their annual salary. So if I make $100,000, how much money do I need to save? I would say 20 times their annual salary. 20 times? <laughs> uh, at least that's what i would want now <laughs> yeah. i think the answer i like the way you're headed because if uh, you're my planner i would want i want to, to overshoot. Definitely, yeah, absolutely <laughs> because you know we can't rely on keith to get us all that rate of return all those years so i definitely would rather hey, hey. yeah well i mean we just can't count on you keith I <laughs> you have no control you can count the on me here. but we can't count on the market there you go that's what that's actually what i meant <laughs> what did the uh, statistics say <laughs> yeah the statistics say that actually it's 10 times your first annual salary so if I'm making hundred thousand dollars when I retire, I need to have a million dollars saved. That number really sounds low to me. It, it sounds, sounds low, to low me. and That's you know why. the the study
0: was that coupled with Social Security would replace about eighty five percent of your pre retirement income. So that was the
1: that was the yeah. thought behind that number. And it actually says here that you know a lot of people still depend that are retiring now still have pension plans, and so if you have a pension plan, you may only need ten times, but. Nick and I and the younger generations don't have a shot in the world of ever seeing a pension plan. So uh, most likely, you know, it would be a higher number if I don't have a pension plan.
0: It would. And a lot of these things that we're talking about with planning, and I, and I know we talk about this a lot, but ultimately the answer is it depends. And, you know, we've said that, and it's almost becoming kind of, a, you know, our, our fallback answer because it's absolutely true, and in this case,
1: it depends. It would depend on the individual client, how much they need to save. Yep. All right, Nick, you ready, buddy? Mm-hmm. All right, so if you push, uh, postpone claiming Social Security benefits... Beyond your normal retirement age, how much will future benefits be increased each year until you delay receiving benefits until 70? Don't help him, Jason Frazier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's phone a friend and 8%? 8% is right. 8% ding, ding, ding. Absolutely. (laughs) That is something that I learned only not too long ago that uh, 8%. So if, you know, if I have a uh, retirement benefit with social security and I don't, claim it. I don't start taking benefits. Each year it goes up 8%. Now they put a cap on that because they don't want to be on the hook for too much dollars, but up until 70 it go that benefit actually will increase 8% a year, which is a it's a big deal when it comes to trying to figure out whether your cash flow during retirement.
3: Yeah, it's it's really important to uh to have that discussion with your clients because a lot of them will just turn it on just because they reach a certain age, they don't realize that there's an impact with that, uh, that if they don't need it, they, ne- they shouldn't necessarily turn
0: it on. And they think, you know, we think in terms of social security, and I know all the, you know, all the things that you read in the press are about the social security, you're running out of money and all of this, and benefits may be cut down if we're on the path we're on. You know, I think 2033 is when that's projected to, to happen now. Uh, but social security is one of those things that I think we can rely on uh, in some form or fashion. So getting an 8% rate of return on anything guaranteed is really good. Yeah. Uh, so if you can get that stuff step up. And again, this is something that's going to go to you for the rest of your life. Monthly cash flow, very important. You got to think about it in the terms of financial planning.
1: I know. And I know it's not popular to say that we can rely on Social Security because a a lot of people love bashing Social Security and the government. Right. But, you know, the people that I talk to and the experts... They generally say that Social Security is going to be okay.
0: Social Security is going to be okay. We are not going to let our seniors go without Social Security. We will fix this in Congress, and frankly, the fixes are pretty easy. You just raise the age and do a couple things like that that I think we'll be able to get done.
1: They really, they, when you look at what it would take to fix the problems we have right now, they're they're very, very, you know, they're not very difficult. Not very difficult, and I
0: think it's something that, again, when you get Congress working a little bit better and we see uh, fiscal policy starting to actually move forward, it'll be one of those things we'll be able to address, hopefully uh, after the next set of elections, which we're looking forward to. If you're just joining us. We are speaking with Nick Sal and Jason Frazier and are trying to stump them with financial planning questions, but so far they are doing incredibly well. They're both still employed. They're both still got jobs. (laughs) And if you think this has been at all entertaining, please like us on Facebook and see what's going on around the firm. I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby. Tal.
1: Yeah, let's dump them. yep We're, we've saved the two good ones for last. So th- this is it right here. This is the grand finale, final Jeopardy. I hope you've wagered right.
0: Okay, and I am going to be the sole arbiter of whether this is a correct answer because this is in my world. So okay. number eight, Jason, should you wait until you retire to shift your investments to a more conservative asset allocation? Asset allocation being the mix between stocks, bonds, and cash that you
2: have in your portfolio. No. I would say that is not the correct answer. Uh, as you, I would say about five years before you actually retire, you want to start Out. lowering your risk.
0: Outstanding answer. Yes, and that's what we think through, you know, is how much you, uh, risk you take on. When you get closer to retirement, Jason, why would you want to start pulling that risk back? And, and, again, we don't like to really talk in terms of risk as much as we talk about volatility. So why would we want to scale that back if someone gets closer to retirement?
2: Well, when we have less years before we're going to retire, basically when we're going to start actually taking distributions from our income, we have less time to recoup any kind of downturn in the market. So we're going to try to preserve the principle that we have and kind of start to move a little bit away from the aggressive side.
0: Absolutely. Great
1: answer. He did it. He did it. All right, Tal. Final Jeopardy. All right, Nick. (laughs) This is it. The grand finale. Building a sizable nest egg is important because you may have to depend on those savings for a long time. So, for example, a 60-year-old couple has a 50% chance that one spouse will live to at least age what? So if I am 60, my wife is 60, there's a 50% chance that one of us will live at least to what? Both what of age? them have hit 60. They're married. I'm going to give you four chances, four options. All right. Age 91, <laughs> age 70, age 81, or age 50? A 50% I would say,
3: 91
1: That is incorrect. Mm. You were so close, Nick. You were so close. Actually, it's 81. And uh, I I mean, that's important because, I mean, if you look at it, a lot of people are trying to retire earlier. They want to retire at 60, 65. And so that means that they're going to have to have an income stream for possibly 20 or 30 years for them to depend on in order to not run out of money. So that goes into financial planning as to why a 50-year-old needs to financial plan. But the more important thing is is a 20-year-old needs to financial plan even more importantly because they have to create an income stream that could last possibly several decades.
3: Yeah, I think it's really important as employers have shifted uh, the responsibility of saving away from pension plans and more into individual retirement plans. uh, It's important for people, especially our age, to realize that they start to have to they're going to have to put a lot more money back than maybe their parents did because they don't have that pension plan, that source of income.
0: Well, that's exactly right. And I think uh, Tal, actually, I don't think it was 81. I think the correct answer was 91. Oh, uh, yep, you're right. So Sorry. that's Ooh. even more that you've got
1: to <laughs> I lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> so three but, decades. Three well, decades. and that
0: was the only reason I said that yeah. because, you know, when we talk about, you know, when are you going to retire? What is your time horizon? I know that, you know, we will say to a client, what is your time horizon? And if they're 62, they'll say three years if they plan to retire in 65. No, that is not your time horizon. Your time Time horizon is 30 plus years. You have to plan for that. Now, as Jason was saying, you have to adjust your allocation in your investments based on some certain factors. How much uh, distributions are you going to be needing to take? You know, things like that. How much volatility are you comfortable with? Uh, if you wake up tomorrow and the market is down 10%. And is that inevitable, that the market will be down 10% at some
1: point? It's going to happen again at some it's point. It's going
0: to happen else. at some point. We don't know when and we don't know why, but it will happen. Uh, and if that is makes you too nervous and forces you to get out of your investments, then that portfolio is probably too volatile for you. So that's one of the things that we look at. And all of this is incredibly important when taken in the context of time. Yeah. And you have a lot of time that you have to plan for.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and the worst thing you would want to happen is wait too long to pull your money back because then all of a sudden you're getting ready to retire. The market's doing awesome. You're feeling secure. You can, you know, you got your Hawaiian shirt on, you're ready to kick back on the beach. And then all of a sudden the market crashes the day that you retire. At that point, you start withdrawing assets from an already reduced portfolio. You know, that sequence of events can kill you and it, it can cause you to be, uh, enter into a situation that you could possibly never recover from. So it's really important that A, that you really scale back your investments as you start entering into those years where you're preparing for retirement, and also that you prepare to fund not just five or six years, but the possibility of funding 30-plus years of income that you're not going to be making when you retire. 30 plus
0: years of income. Uh, you know, we talk about asset allocation and it is incredibly important because ultimately that's the driver of your volatility. That's the driver of your long-term return potential. Uh, and, and really, I think that's one of those things that someone could certainly accomplish on their own. You know, as you said, there are a lot of ways to go out and get advice that's that's relatively cheap. Uh, that's actually pretty good advice, but you've got so many things that impact this. So many moving parts that you really need to think about to do it right. I would always say consult a financial professional.
1: Absolutely. I think that, you know, I've done a a lot of plans for people over the years. And I cannot think back and think of one that didn't warrant what we did for them.
0: Absolutely. Gentlemen, great show. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you guys.
0: We might even invite you back. Absolutely. I think so. <laughs> they definitely
2: earned their keep for today. That's for sure. And we've sure. got
0: a great show next week. Kevin yep. Westbrook from Union University will be here. That's I just want, to, Yeah, I want to take this time to thank everybody. I want to thank Tal Goldsby-Thal. You did a phenomenal yeah. job. You are always invited back. Yeah, absolutely. Art Frederick, our producer and board operator. Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator. Eleanor Moskovitz and Katie Brashier, our production assistants. Our compliance officer, Jeff Long, Drew Johnson, who writes our Mid South History moments, and Rebecca Brazier, who reads them. I'm Keith Quinn. Please join us next week when we'll help you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.